Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash ProFootballFocusNFL. Hey, I got a new podcast coming. It's called Theory. Don't you know! This is Theo Rossi. Our world is changing. For many of us, it'll never feel the same. The important thing to remember is that we are all in this together. And that's some of what I want to talk about on my new show, Theory. We're going to discuss the things that no one ever does. The real talk, the sacrifice, and the struggle that everyone goes through. My life has kind of put me in a unique position to see things honestly. This is Theo Rossi, and my new show, Theory, launches on April 8th. Officially on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts. understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like the pulses and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzolo here with Sam Monson. It's NFC draft grades and review time. Sam, you ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Let's do, let's it. do it. Let's do it. We got a hard out. We're going to be as efficient as we've ever been. You won't believe how much information we're going to pack into this episode. Hmm. 16 teams with some serious detail. We have uh, Michael Ayers from the social media team just staring at me. Yeah. He's just staring at us. Imagine the, if that uh, wasn't the still photo. Here. Maybe that's his video. Is he on video? I can't tell. He's just grit test. Go. Mm, I don't think you're going to no, win. He that. wins. Yeah. He wins every time. All right. Let's go through. We, by the way, if you guys didn't listen to the AFC podcast, go check it out. We recu- we covered every single team on Monday. Today we're doing NFC. Next week, who knows? It's the offseason. Wait. All sorts of goodies. Wait, wait, wait. Let's start yes. off by uh, giving people a chance to win a free subscription. <clears throat> That's a good way to start the show. Okay, do it. How how can they win a free subscription, Sam? Go, and we're going to start answering questions on the podcast. We're going to end the podcasts, plural, going forward by answering a fan question. Now, the question is going to be drawn from the reviews 
of the PFF podcast on iTunes. So the link, Ooh. the link will be in the description of this. If you're watching on YouTube, um, it will be, you know, just Google PFF NFL show iTunes and you'll find the link to that review the show. Um, ask a question in your review and we will start answering questions. The one that we answer each week will win a free PFF subscription. So put your question in the review in iTunes. Um, and if we read out your question and answer it, you will win a free PFF subscription. I like it. Smart move. So go check that out. Do that right now. And also don't forget draft 2020. I think it's still valid for at least another day. I don't know if we're going to extend it beyond today, so go check it. I have no idea if we are. We might, but I have no idea. Draft 2020, you get 30% off all of your annual subscriptions. That's Edge or Elite. Go check it out. Draft 2020 at pff.com. So we're going to go through the entire NFC, starting with the NFC East and the Dallas Cowboys, Sam. I think universally across PFF, it was one of our favorite drafts. And I think when you're evaluating drafts, people – you know, drink every time you say value, right? It's you'll you'll be quite drunk. Um, but I think you look at value plays. Where did you get this player compared to where he was either on our board or just in general? Um, and I think Dallas did a really nice job of that. Also, the fact that they let the board kind of come to them. And I also love when you don't just go fill out your depth chart. You don't just fill needs across the board. If the if the Cowboys had just grabbed Cesar Ruiz in the first round and filled their starting center spot instead of grabbing maybe the best wide receiver in the draft, you know, that would have been a huge mistake. But instead, they let the board fall to them. They start with C.D. Lamb, one of our favorite picks in the draft at 17. This draft was absurd. <laughs> you know, we, PFF pulled out our, our mock draft simulator before the draft, a tool that everybody loved using. And one of the criticisms of a mock draft simulator is your sim's broken. This guy will never be available at this spot. If you put this draft through a simulator and showed it at the end, people would be like, your sim sucks. There's no way these guys are available <laughs> at the spot that they were picked. Dallas had that basically all the way down the draft. CeeDee Lamb at 17, nobody thought he'd be available there. Trafon Diggs was mooted as a pick at 17. They get him a, a round later at 51. Neville Gallimore at 82 is like a full round lower than most people had him. All the way down, Reggie Robinson was one of those, you know, quiet steals of the draft height that everybody was on before. Beatish in the fourth, uh, Bradley and Nye in the fifth. Like this draft was absolutely absurd. If you were cherry picking, you know, drafts for Team X before and trying to sort of find the most, you know, vaguely plausible pick possible, but probably not going to work out. You couldn't have ended up much better than this Dallas draft. It was absolutely absurd. I think by far the best draft of the entire NFL. Yeah, and the other thing about evaluating drafts, and we'll talk about this with the Eagles, is is you're not just drafting for this year. You're also thinking going forward, right? Uh, the Trevon Diggs pick, I've said quite a bit during draft season that the Cowboys have four-fifths of their secondary with their contract up at the end of the year. Having Trevon Diggs, I don't know if he's going to step in and be an impact player right away, but we did have him as fringe first-round value. You get him at 51, but it's also a long-term play with all of those corners and safeties. Uh, you know, essentially have it being in the last year of their contract. So Diggs is a good fit there. The CD Lamb move, that is something we absolutely would do. Actively try to get to three and four deep on your wide receiver core with various skill sets. You have Amari Cooper, one of the best route runners in the NFL. You have Michael Gallup, who just really emerged. We loved his. I mean, they're all three. All three of them are good route runners. I wouldn't even say these are three different skill sets. They're all just good receivers. It's not like they have a six four guy 
and a 5'8 guy and a yak guy. It's really just three good receivers. C.D. Lamb is excellent with the ball in his hands, probably better than the other two. Uh, very good. I mean, they're going to run power sweep with him, you know, the entire time, Sam. That's what they're going to do. Um, but great after the catch feel and having three wide receivers for a high volume passing attack like that's a must in today's NFL. I love this. Yeah. And I think I mean, they I, it would have been interesting to see what they would have done had CD had the fall not started from the wide receivers. You know, would they have taken Cesar Ruiz a lot of people were saying would they have gone corner and taken you know Trevon Diggs that high whatever Could, uh, they might have taken Diggs right yeah either way they reached the point where I think something that nobody ever saw coming in this draft happened and fell into their laps and they just tossed up tossed uh, you know tossed out whatever their original plan had been and said we'll we're taking CeeDee Lamb here and we'll figure out what happens lower down the draft we'll wait to see how it falls and I think that's absolutely the right thing to do we talked before, I did not see any conceivable way CeeDee Lamb fell beyond 12. I thought if he made it as far as the Raiders, they would be immediately up to take that yeah. pick. And instead, they went with Ruggs. So Lamb fell to the Cowboys in a way I don't think anybody thought possible before the draft. And it's like, it's Christmas for them. That and If they did nothing else, if all the other picks had been average or crappy, it would have been a solid move because that first round is just a case of taking you know, don't look the gift horse in the mouth, take what they give you. And what they're giving you is arguably the best receiver in this class. This is why teams use the horizontal board, right? The horizontal board, you put all the positions left to right. And then vertically, you have where would you draft them from like a round standpoint, which is different from a draft board, which is, you know, one through 200, 253, whatever the number is, right? CD Lamb was probably sitting there at 17 and they were like, this is the last guy that we have with say a top 10 grade or whatever that cutoff was for them right we have five guys that we would take middle of the first or whatever that the next you know tier is but there was there was probably one player left in that top tier and again that's where the smartest teams go this was derwin james a couple years ago by the chargers this is cd lamb now you take the top 10 guy and this also shows i think the benefit of not going into the draft with major needs i think a team like the bucks who we'll talk about went in with very specific needs that they had to fill in part because They're working with an 80 year old quarterback, but the Cowboys didn't have like I didn't have to get a safety. I didn't have to get a defensive tackle. They could take the best player uh, from a value standpoint on their board. And that's where C.D. Lamb comes in. I mean, I think you could argue that they did have those needs at cornerback and at center. And usually the Cowboys are a team that's okay with that. Right. They're okay rolling into the draft with a couple of needs, one or two big needs that they want to fill with a day one starter. And they take that guy in the first round and they never look back. But what's interesting is I think they potentially did that this year and said, you know what, this is too good a value to it it overrides that I would like to fix corner. We're going to hope the corner is still there in the second round, but we can pass up um, CD Lamb. They're subscribing to that, you know, the Browns list of of adages never pass on a blue. They had a blue fall to them. The blue chip prospect fell to them. They didn't expect it to happen. So they, they didn't pass. They took him and you know, rode their luck a little bit. The corner would still be a position they could fix in the second round. And not only did they fix it, or at least, you know, draft a second round corner, but it was a guy that a lot of people were meshing with Dallas in the first round. So whether you think those people were crazy or not, it, it A, it's a decent match because people were connecting it all the way through the pre-draft process. And they did it, at least, you know, a round lower than people were predicting that to happen in. So I don't think you can fault... I don't think you can fault the first three picks. And from four onwards, it's not bad either. So 
let me just hit on the the third rounder Neville Neville Gall- Neville Gallimore, one of my favorite players in the draft uh, to watch because the dude's first step is incredible. He ran a four seven nine as a you know three hundred pounder at the combine, and he plays like it. But he also plays with little awareness. But I love it. He just gets off the snap and tries to figure out what he's got to do after that. So um, disruptive interior player. Reggie Robinson's a project at cornerback. A lot of people liked him, but you get the toolsy. Let's see what he is in the mm-hmm. fourth round. Great. Um, Tyler Biotish, uh, everybody's going to call him Travis Frederick, Travis Frederick placement. They both played at Wisconsin. He's probably not going to be as good as Frederick, who was our all decade center. Yeah. However, Biotish is an outstanding run blocker three straight over the last three years. Second highest percentage of positively graded throws, um, uh, positively graded run blocks. Sorry. Uh, among all interior O linemen that translates really well. He's got some issues in pass protection that would be similar to Frederick and Bradley and I could probably be a rotational edge as a fifth rounder. So I think they got a legitimate five guys who contribute Reggie Robinson. We'll see. And then Ben DiNucci, the seventh round quarterback as a backup potential. Right. So uh, love the draft top to bottom. They got a good blend of early contributors, long-term plays and uh, just good, good value. It was one of our, uh, I think four a plus draft grades that we put on our website. So, so that's that Dallas Cowboys. Uh, New York Giants are up next. By the way, there's a theme with the NFC East. I think they all did well. I think they all got better. Mm. The worst division in football last year got much, much better this year. An unexciting Giants draft. If you just look, ah, it's a tackle, a safety, a tackle. But I just thought they got solid players along the board. Dave Gettleman continues to not trade down. But I think he evaluated well. Uh, Andrew Thomas going at four. Our top tackle from Georgia. we love that because we think he's the best blend of run blocking and pass blocking among the tackles. That's the most important thing those guys do. So it made sense at four and they got some insurance at tackle in the third with one of our favorite developmental prospects in Matt Parrott. And then Xavier McKinney adds a lot of versatility to their secondary in the second round. What do you think of the giants draft, Sam? Yeah, I think it was a really good draft. Um, you know, we, I think it's always, it's risky to believe in your ability to, identify talent better than other people. That's one of our sort of, um, one of our rules of thumb, one of our, you know, shining uh, North Star guiding lights of how you should approach draft process and all that kind of thing. Um, Who is, who's he write for now? The Athletic Shield Cappadia, is that his second name? Um, He wrote this piece that was like, here are the, here are the, the, you know, the commandments that you should use for drafting and for roster building. And that was one of them, right? Don't, don't believe in your own ability to identify talent better than other people because almost there's almost nobody for whom that is true. Um, certainly not enough that it makes it, it's worthwhile leaning on it versus taking the advantages elsewhere. But honestly, Dave Gettleman might legitimately be one of the best pure talent evaluators in the NFL. Um, and that's why he does never trade down because he just goes, no, look, just tell me when we pick, I will pick, because I believe we're picking good players. Now, his strike rate will still not be, you know, 80%. It will still be under 500, more than likely, but it's probably better than other people um, throughout the NFL. And here, this is another good draft. Andrew Thomas, we were all the way through the process. It was kind of like, uh-oh, the Giants are taking a tackle at four, and they're going to take the <laughs> wrong one. You know, they're going to take Mackay yeah. Becton, the Giant. <laughs> more of a project than any of these other guys may have higher upside than any of these other, than any of these other guys, but he's more of a project. Whereas actually they did it. They went the other way. He took the guy that was the best tackle on the board. Maybe he has a lower ceiling than some of these other guys, but I think that would be a harsh interpretation of it. Um, 
so they, they take the right guy. And then Xavier McKinney, Xavier McKinney. I need to check whether that's the hard X or not. Um, yeah, yeah, you should. Huh? You should check that, yeah. I should, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He, you know, a lot of people are saying he's Simmons, but without the freaky size and the hype. You know, he did, he had the same kind of role in terms of versatility and covering the slot and playing in the box and playing deep and doing everything. And he was pretty much as good at it. He just doesn't right. look the same. So he didn't get top five hype. And honestly, if you're going to deploy a guy like that in just a conventional NFL role and say you're just a safety or you're just a linebacker, he might be a better pick to do that. He also ran in the four sixes. I mean, that's the big difference between Simmons. Uh, McKinney's got legitimate slot corner type of footwork, and I think he's got tight end covering ability. I mean, there's a lot that he brings to the table. That means over the last couple of years, they brought in Julian Love from Notre Dame, who is an excellent zone corner in college, converted him to safety last year. You have McKinney, who is a safety, who could play a little dime linebacker, can play in the slot. You have Jabril Peppers, who's played all over the place. I love the versatility that they're adding on the back end there. Um, they need p- players like DeAndre Baker to take a step forward, obviously, and live up to his first round hype last year. He was a bit of a disappointment, but uh, I think that's been I think it was fantastic by them adding a McKinney there. And then from an offensive line standpoint, like they should be in the in the middle tier, right? They should be an average offensive line. Nate Solder has not been great. He's not a complete disaster, but he's been below average, right? But Andrew Thomas stepping in at right tackle could immediately become an upgrade to Michael Rammers. Uh, Mike Remmers, even as a rookie, uh, Kevin Zeitler, Will Hernandez, still maybe a question mark at center, but like they're getting there, mm. you know, all, along the offensive line. So uh, where they picked players, I thought the value was there. The receiving core, we never really got to see them together, but they've got some Darius Slayton deep thread and Golden Tate after the catch and Sterling Shepard in the slot. They've got some skill sets there. Um, the one point I made too on our post-draft show with the wide receivers, again, there'll, there'll be some good wide receivers available. I don't, they didn't attack that in the draft. We always think you should be adding wide receivers and potential playmakers. I think they could be in the market for some good receivers that, you know, if Deshaun Jackson ends up on the street or whatever it is, they should be in the market for players like that to just add some depth to the receiving core. Uh, I mean, I think they like their receiving core. I think there's a reason they didn't go hard after it. You know, they, they had been saying that, when you look at last year and, and uh, Daniel Jones, when you sort of add up the list of his six playmakers, essentially, I don't know that they played a single snap together on the field. Yeah. You know, they, they were all dealing with injuries at various times in the year, and they, they didn't assemble that cast on the field at the same time. So I think they like what happens if they get all those guys back healthy. The other thing to point out is I think this offensive line, in terms of like constituent pieces, is already better than people think it is. Like obviously they're moving in the right direction with Andrew Thomas and, and Matt Parrott to, to potentially become a pair of bookends down the line and replace Solder and the, and a right tackle. Um, but I think the single biggest thing that the offensive line could do from like last year to this year is Daniel Jones improving the speed at which he processes. Right? Because we've talked, and this yes. isn't this isn't meant as a knock that hey Daniel Jones sucks. We were right. Whatever you think about Daniel Jones, he had one of the 10 longest average times with the ball in his hands. So he stressed his offensive line more than most quarterbacks would. Um, and, you know, the, the, the fumbles, the big, a lot of the big problem with the fumbling was him holding on to the ball too long, inviting pressure that shouldn't have been there. 
So Daniel Jones goes from like the bottom third to the top third in that area in 2020. And suddenly the offensive line is immediately catapulted up the rankings because their, their job is easier. The, they don't have to pass block for as long. Like that will move the needle as much as Andrew Thomas coming in. That, so what you just described is why this is one of our axioms. Why creep back toward average works. It's because if you at least have an average offensive line, then you so as long as you're not a disaster, the quarterback's going to own a piece of his pressure rate and then the receivers will own some of it as well. So you need a quarterback that's willing to get the ball out of his hands quickly and you also need guys for him to throw to quickly, right? So as long as those pieces are also reasonable, the quarterback speeds up his process a little bit. Just don't be terrible up front. And I think the Giants, I don't think they were terrible last year either. That the fans think they were horrible. They were they did give up a lot of pressure from the tackle position, but like you said, a lot was on Daniel Jones as well. Yeah. So I mean, the other thing is, last year had a collection of some of the worst offensive lines the NFL has ever seen, all at the same time. That's so, a good point. Like the Giants didn't have a good offensive line last year, but you, you like, if yeah. you want to see what a terrible one looks like, watch the Dolphins, <laughs> watch the Bengals, watch the Chargers. If, like the Giants is, had a long way they could have fallen from last year to be the worst line in the NFL. This is the same thing that happens every year. Even there's 25 fan bases that hate their offensive line. Literally 25, maybe 30. There's like the Cowboys feel good about their line every year. That's it. But every other I team mean, thinks that theirs is the worst. Yeah. I mean, in their defense, there are years where this last year's Giants offensive line could have been amongst the worst. It's just last year. Yeah. They weren't even in the ballpark. All right. So we gave them an A. We thought they did a great job as well. And then an A minus draft coming up. The Philadelphia Eagles and Eagles fans are upset overall. I don't want to I don't want to completely characterize them as upset. There are many that are upset. There are also many that are reasonable and there are many that are listening to, I think, the reasoning here at PFF. Um, Sometimes people at PFF draw different conclusions. I think a lot of us came to the same conclusion on this, though. I use the word brilliant for the Jalen Hurts pick in the second round. That might that might have been a little strong. (laughs) I don't think I was looking for them to do that. But when I think you go through the list of things that could make that could justify it, I think it's a pretty healthy list going Jalen Hurts in the second. We'll get to that in a minute. Jalen Rager, the first pick, 21 overall. Part of the reason why Eagles fans are upset with this draft is because they think Justin Jefferson's better because everybody mocked Justin Jefferson to them Hmm. at 21. So part of why people get mad at the draft is, it all depends on what which mock drafts you're reading. Like we loved Rager, we were ready to take him in the top 15 because he's right there behind Rugs, if not with him as a deep threat. I think it's a fantastic fit for the Eagles. You think yeah. he's better than Rugs? Yeah. Um, Steal the draft? I wouldn't go that far, but I think it's the right spot for him. I think that that's where Rager should have gone. Uh, I, Eagles fans have, are never happier than when they're mad at something, and they seem to get more mad at you when you say something is good for them than when you say it's bad. Yes. Like the most angry Eagles fans have ever been at us was when we told them they had the best offensive line in the league shortly before they had obviously the best offensive line in the league. And when we said they had the best right. receiving core in the NFL, which promptly all got injured and they played like crap. Um, like those two dramatically higher than when we said, hey, hold the horses. Carson Wentz isn't an MVP, which also pissed them off. But like that wasn't even in the same stratosphere as when we told them they actually did have the best in the NFL at something. Look, the, so we'll get to the Hurts thing because that probably defines how you view this draft. But Jalen Rager 
is one of the best receivers in this draft. I think he can be a significantly better NFL player than he was a college player because he suddenly has a viable quarterback throwing him the ball. He's got incredible speed. He, like Ruggs, is another one of those receivers that he doesn't wait for it to come to him. He goes to get the ball, and he has crazy contested catch and high point skills for a speed-type receiver. He's good with the ball in his hands, um, You know, good yards after the catch. Even if they're not looking to move on from Deshaun Jackson, Deshaun Jackson's 34 years old. Like, how long do you think he's still going to be able to run a 4-3? So, I think they have to at this point, whatever, though, right? But I, whether it's contingency, whether it's replacement, whatever it is, Rager is a smart pick there. I think he's a better receiver than Justin Jefferson. I think he's a better fit for what the Eagles want to do in terms of bringing a skill set that isn't already in the, the meeting room. So I don't understand how you can look at that pick and be upset by it. I don't know if if Renner put the article out yet, but he did something I always like to do is look at the themes of the draft. I mean, the theme of the Eagles draft was like, let's get faster. Let's get more athletic. Right. Part of their draft was also trading for Marquise Goodwin. I mean, they added four guys who were capable of running sub four, four between Jalen Rager, John Hightower, Quez Watkins and Marquise Goodwin through trade. And Deshaun Jackson's already on the team to go with your Huge dudes in Alshon Jeffrey and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. So something's got to give in that receiving core. My guess is that Deshaun Jackson gets pushed out wow. due to age. Maybe they move on with all, uh, from Alshon once some of these guys develop as well. But that's the thing. More, I love it. I love adding speed. More than one thing has to give. It's going to be interesting to see. So they basically got a stable of slow contested catch guys and a stable of speedsters. The, the balance of which ones, which ones get cut by the time the season rolls around, you know, what what the makeup of the final six, five or six receivers they keep on the roster is, is going to be pretty fascinating because it's a, they've got two extremes and nothing in the middle. It, it will be fascinating. Plus, they've got the two tight ends to throw to with Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Plus, uh, we'll get to the Vikings when we get there, but the Eagles have kind of been pushing the limits from a salary cap and, and a depth standpoint. I think they've done a really nice job of just replenishing a strength with options right i think one of the most difficult things to do especially for fan bases is is to be like we've we've relied on this position group for a while however they either completely regressed or they got old or they became too expensive and then you have to go into the draft and you just replenish a strength with new talent um it's tough to call their receiving core a strength after what we saw last year because you know none of them played and it was a huge disaster However, on paper, it's a strength, and they replenished it as well with very specific types. They went in there and got they got speed, and they can create big plays, which perfectly complement their big tight ends or at least one of their big-bodied possession receivers. So I love that as a strategy. Give me all the speed, guys. They did a great job. All right. Um, now beyond sell me, that, sell me on the Jalen Hurts thing. I, I was gonna. I want to wrap it up with Hurts. I just want to touch on the other guys really quick. Davion Taylor is an athletic coverage player as is Kayvon Wallace. Both guys can cover the slot. I mean, Davion Taylor's a linebacker. He played some walkout linebacker over the slot. Jack Driscoll's a developmental tackle that performed well, much like Matt Parrott. Um, you want those guys on your team. Uh, Prince Tega, Winogo, same thing at Auburn, right? So, so they've got a potential down-the-road starting tackle between those two guys um, and guys that can help on the back end between Wallace and Taylor. You didn't watch much of the uh, the ESPN broadcast, right? Because you were doing the, the days no, two and three video stuff. So, But I added on while I was doing stuff. And <sighs> tone deaf, I think, is, is one term that's been thrown out there as to some of the stuff they were throwing up. But 
they were shooting for human interest, right? And sometimes missed wide right. You know, they were, they basically, whoever was operating the bullet point thing was the Mitchell Trubisky of TV production and was high and wide a lot of the time. So, you know, bullet points about how lived homeless or mother just died and all these kind of things. But yeah. one story they pulled out that was kind of interesting was for Prince Teguinogo, who apparently came over originally, I think from Nigeria. Um, I might be misremembering that, but came over originally was basically his plan was to become a basketball player, right? I'm going to become, I'm going to be in the NBA. That's how I'm going to make things. Ends up obviously yeah. in the NFL instead, gave up basketball because I think he broke a leg or something. So like basketball was the more dangerous pursuit than football. I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah. Guy's taking up the more safe profession, which is offensive tackle in the NFL. Yeah, much safer. Save your legs. Yeah, that's great. I mean, look, I, I like the depth there. Let's get to the Jalen Hurts thing. Yeah. My bullet point list of why I think it pays off. Uh, first off, backup quarterbacks can be expensive. You're buying insurance. At the very least, you're buying insurance in the second round with Jalen Hurts. Beyond the insurance play. With the difference between you, you always say this, Sam, don't just go pick up a Matt Castle off the street. You know what Matt Castle is, right? Mm -hmm. We don't technically know what Jalen Hurts is. There's a percentage chance, 2%, 5%, 10%, 20%. There's a percentage chance that he's awesome, that he's really good. And that either helps you, the Philadelphia Eagles at some point when he has to play football or even take over for Carson Wentz, who knows under a cost controlled contract or He's a guy that you could trade for at the very least another second round pick or maybe even more. And the Patriots did the same thing with Jimmy Garoppolo. They had intentions of taking him, having him take over for Tom Brady. Brady went on the best five year stretch, I think, in NFL history. So they didn't need Garoppolo for more than two games, but they spent a second round pick. Didn't need him for more than two games. Got a second round pick back. That was worthwhile insurance. And they didn't lose a whole lot from a long term team building standpoint all of those things are true for Jalen Hurts even if he doesn't play a snap it's insurance and the opportunity to maybe roll stumble in to another great quarterback who knows so that yeah I think there's a combination of points you're making that I think can win me over I in I don't love spending a second round pick on him if you if they got Jalen Hurts in the third I wouldn't have a problem with it at all I'd say it was smart I'd be on your guy's side in terms of this is genius. This is exactly what you should be doing. Second round picks are just a little, especially when like 53, especially are just a little bit too valuable for me to be like, you know, I'm going to take this because the, the shot to nothing is worth it. Um, but if you couch it in the terms of, look, there is a chance that he becomes significantly better than your personal evaluation of him, right? This is all like framed with the idea that I just I don't think Jalen Hurts pans out in the NFL. I think the things that he's bad at are fatal flaws to be a quarterback at the next level. So every oh my opinion on it is sort of I I just I don't think he's going to work out, so I don't think it'll be a good move. But that's when fair. You, when you frame it around, look, there's a chance I'm wrong. It could be a pretty big one, right? There's a chance I I'm wrong and he becomes something way better. That's worth taking a shot on. And secondly, there's also the chance that you can flip him down the line for the same and or better and or slightly, you know, a, a diminishing return, but you maybe get a third back, right? So you can recoup the second round pick that you spend to check out if it's worth or not. In terms of like, I don't know that you would take just a backup quarterback in the second round, right? If that's, if all you were told was, 
this is your version of Matt Castle, right? There's no more upside. He's never going to be better than that. But you are getting a backup option who you never want starting for you in the second round. That, to me, is not worth it in the second, even though backup quarterbacks are really valuable and blah, blah, blah. So Agree with that point. if that's all it is, I don't love the pick. But it, the way you phrased it, I think, is smart in terms of potentially you can flip him for more. And I think it's wor- the gamble that he's better than you think he is is worth taking. The second element to this that's probably worth talking about is what if the Eagles use him as more than that, right? This Taysom Hill yes. idea, right? And the idea that he can be a backup quarterback and he can be your insurance and he can sit on the sideline and be contingency for the time where Carson Wentz gets hurt. But you can also bring him in as a Taysom Hill. And whatever people think about Taysom Hill, it works. Like the gimmick offense that they run with Taysom Hill improves their offense overall from a statistical standpoint. You know, EPA, whatever way you want to measure it, this is a better offense when Taysom Hill comes in and runs his gimmick crap. So if they get the same thing out of Jalen Hurts, it's it's an improvement, right? Yep. There's there's all these little benefits that I think add up. I completely agree with you. A backup quarterback in isolation in the second round is too much. Even Jalen Hurts in the second round might be too much. But I like what the potential is there. The one other thing, too. Um, I don't really love him as a player either. Uh, watching him, like, you know, he holds the ball too long. I think he leaves plays on the field, doesn't turn it over, probably takes too many sacks. I'm describing Tyrod Taylor here, by the way, our, our comp in the draft guide. Is that okay? You love Tyrod. Yeah. So my thought with Hurts, even though I don't love a lot of the on-field evaluation stuff, here are the boxes that he ticks. Pure production, hitting open throws, and a lot of the things maybe aided a little bit by the Oklahoma scheme, but he performed well in some advanced numbers. He performed well when our guys did some text analytics, which I think is awesome, right? People think that there's this whole analytics versus scouting debate. Well, what better way to leverage scouting than to actually use their words and figure out what they mean? That's something the Houston Astros, before they cheated, uh, actually did really well in baseball. They took their scouts and they said, hey, go scout, write your scouting reports the same exact way you always do. And then we're going to analyze it and say, hey, these are the words you used about this player. And these are the words you used about this other player. They're the same. Let's see. Let's see where you're right or wrong. Our text analytics that we used on Dane, just, we used one source, Dane Brugler from The Athletic, six years of data, pointed him toward Deshaun Watson. All right. So whatever, it doesn't mean he's Deshaun Watson. It just Let's just say text analytics favorable. So check mark in advanced analytics. Text mark in the text stuff. Ch- uh, check marks. Check mark in whatever this it factor is, right? Alabama, Oklahoma, good teammate, comes in in relief, wins the SEC championship. Offense got better right when he got there at Alabama as a true freshman. Like all of this it, intangible, whatever, was all good. Check mark, right? Senior bowl, showed improvement. Check mark. So I... What I do is all of those things help me talk myself into Jalen Hurts just a little bit because he showed well in all these other areas, which makes me think that quote unquote upside like this is what upside is. All right. Upside is not six, six with a cannon. Upside is do you check a lot of the boxes that translate at the next level? Right. Do you do things that other guys do that worked at the NFL level? Jalen Hurts does a lot of those things. Therefore, he has upside. It's not because he's six, six with a cannon. It's because he's performed well in a lot of key areas so that gives me hope that that second round pick 
could potentially be valuable for the Eagles. The whole Tua Jalen Hurts dynamic, by the way, like just just how awful were the Alabama quarterbacks before those two arrived? Because Jalen Hurts made a notable immediate improvement to the quarterback spot when he arrived, and then Tua made an automatic, immediate, obvious improvement to the offense when he arrived over Jalen Hurts. Lay <laughs> off my man, Greg McElroy. Like. How were they even competing with the quarterbacks that were there before? They weren't that bad. I will say, when Tua took over for Hurts, though, it did look completely different. Yes. It was like, wow, this That's team what I'm can they pass had like two, and pass on time. It was great. They had like two notable step changes with quarterback changes, which just, I mean, the guys before that, whether McElroy, who was the who was the most recent one? Um, Stalker? AJ McCarron. No, uh yeah, Jacob Coker. Coker. They Blake it. Sims. Yeah, yeah, Coker yeah. wasn't great. No. Anyway, we've spent a lot of time on this. Plus Jalen Hurts, all that stuff I was talking about as a passer. Plus he adds the running element. No, he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not a dynamic runner. He's a good runner. Mm. And if you're going to build an offense with rushing ability, I use the like David Garrard would pick up three or four first downs per game with his legs. And it right. was like he was a pretty efficient passer. And then you just steal some first downs. At the very least, Hurts can do stuff like that. So. I think there's a lot of value here. I mean, he's closer to Carson Wentz than he is Lamar Jackson in terms of rushing ability. That's a good point. That's a very good point. All right. So a minus we gave the Eagles. Don't worry, Eagles fans. I know you would have rather a player that could help right now in the second round, but have a little bit of long term vision. This could really pay off. It might not, but it could. I think it's a worthwhile bet is Mm. what it comes down to. The Washington Redskins, uh, they start out. we, We gave them a B overall. We think it was solid. Uh, they didn't have a second round pick. <laughs> they What's fall. That? They they fall into the category of you took a running back, so the maximum you can get is a B in the PFF. Yeah, so, there's a, there's a cap. Even a running back that George liked, right? Right, because because you can call him a wide receiver and Antonio Gibson from <laughs> Memphis, but they moved him to running back. That dropped you a letter grade. Right. Uh, Chase Young at number two. I mean, part of this evaluation too is like, what did you do with what you were given? To whom much is given, much is expected. Sam a biblical principle and the Redskins hmm. were given the number two pick. What did they do with it? Probably the, the expectation, right? They, they gave, uh, they, they called chase young. Yeah. That was the expected move right there. I'm fine with that as a concept. I, I just look when you not screwing up the, the opportunity to make a mess of it, I think is, is the significant thing that should not be undervalued in the NFL, right? Last year, the Arizona Cardinals took Kyler Murray at number one, when they could have they could have taken a conservative approach and said, no, 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 we took a first-round quarterback a year ago. It's unfair to him. It's unfair to us to bail now, even though we believe that even just in, even just in our abstract terms, Kyler Murray is a much higher-graded prospect than Josh Rosen was. They deserve significant credit for just not screwing that up because it was easy to do that. The Redskins taking Chase Young at two, the Bengals taking Joe Burrow at one. You have to give those teams credit for not figuring out a way to screw that up and you know the analytics guys george and eric in particular their big criticism with this is trade down right i don't know there was an option for the redskins to trade down without taking a deal that would have been so insulting to them in terms of value that it's not worth it so they took they have another angle though they they have another angle though too and i heard them mention this on the forecast you guys should check it out because those guys at the very least get you thinking okay and they got me thinking about this too, right? We've talked about Tua should, should you have taken Tua. So, but but here's the way they couched it. Like I always couch it as you got to find the guy, not a guy. I think Haskins might like Haskins was worth seeing if he's the guy last year, but there's still questions if he's the guy. So get another guy. They couched it as what's going to change the calculus in the NFC East. 
what's going to actually move the needle? And then when you look back at what the NFC East did in this draft, Cowboys got better with one of the best drafts. The Eagles, we think, got better with one of the best drafts. The Giants had one of the best drafts. And the Eagles and Cowboys are already sitting there with two quarterbacks that are smack dab in the top 15 of the NFL, potentially the top 10, Dak and Wentz. Daniel Jones might not be a top 15 quarterback, but he certainly got the potential to put together big years because of his aggressiveness. The only way that Washington competes with them is if they upgrade a quarterback. Now, Mm -hmm. upgrading a quarterback either means Dwayne Haskins takes a big step forward this year or they get another guy to compete. And the point of if you take Tua, okay, you you, you just increase your odds that you've improved your quarterback position. It could still be Haskins. But it certainly could be Tua as well. That's the point there. It's moving the needle within your division. Um, where Chase Young, like, that's great. But honestly, if, if Haskins doesn't develop, Chase, like, they're the fourth best team in that division. If I Haskins agree. really does develop, okay, maybe they're competing for two or three. But Chase Young doesn't move the needle like Tua potentially could for this team. I agree that Chase Young doesn't matter until they have a quarterback that catapults them into a contending spot. But I believe that. You, I believe that chasing a franchise quarterback is a sequential, not a parallel develop. I don't think you can do it in parallel. I think you can only do it sequentially. So you get, you get uh, Dwayne Haskins. You try and figure out if Dwayne Haskins is the guy only at the point. So Dwayne Haskins becoming the guy ceases to become an option at the point where you draft somebody else to try and do that. The second you draft Tua, Dwayne Haskins is no longer the guy. Just as the second the Arizona Cardinals drafted Kyla Murray, Josh Rosen ceased to be the guy. It doesn't work in parallel. You can't just assemble three of those guys and figure out which one of them emerges as the cream of the crop, and he's your guy. The second you draft one, the first guy is on the way out the door. And even if you tried to keep them both in the building, I don't think it would function. I, the team the team needs one of those. He needs one guy. They need one guy to focus on. You can't go, well, one of these two guys is probably going to emerge as the better one, and we'll see how that works. And I don't think it's even an NFL-specific thing. That doesn't even function in business. Like, we're going to put both these guys on equal footing, and we'll just see which one's better. Like, you have to point to a certain person and say, this is the person. Dwayne Haskins, for the moment, is the quarterback of the Washington Redskins. He showed enough last year that I think you can say, all right, we're confident that he can be somebody. We're going to build around him and we're going to give him the Denver Broncos-esque chance to succeed or fail and try and help him as much as possible. If that doesn't work, then we're back to the drawing board and we're in the Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. But I do not think that saying, all right, we're not certain he's the guy, so we're going to take two of two and have two guys we're not certain of the guy. I don't think that helps. All right. That's fine. Slightly agree to disagree. I also would probably take Chase Young if I couldn't trade down in their situation anyway. So I get it. Uh, beyond that, Antonio Gibson, running back, wide, re- wide receiver hybrid, uh, a playmaker, still would have liked to see like a really pure wide receiver maybe there. They did get Antonio Gandy-Golden. He is the definition of upside because like that. he has a couple Calvin Johnson plays on tape and Sadiq Charles, uh, another one of those quote-unquote developmental offensive tackles who might actually have to step in uh, and play sooner rather than later. You like Gandy-Golden, though, in the fourth? Well, if, so if it wasn't for Denzel Mims at the Senior Bowl this year, Gandy Golden would have been the like the guy that the Senior Bowl pushed forward in terms of a dominant week that everyone was talking about because you know like the guy that distanced himself, Terry McLaurin style. 
at the Senior Bowl. His grade was really yeah. good for us during the one-on-one drill, second only to, um, to Denzel Mims. Again, like he's got some freaky athleticism skills to him as well. So he ticks all those boxes in terms of a guy that could be significantly better based on what we saw against elevated competition. I do like that. Just the, the Haskins to a thing, right? Even if – do you genuinely think that if you stuck both those guys in the room, tried to roll with both of them for the next year – you don't see any downside whatsoever to the just the shitstorm from the media that brings down upon your team for the next twelve months. Like the idea that all uh, anybody in that yeah. building is going to be answering questions on is which guy is the guy. I think, I think what it takes is is proper messaging, right? Because like part of the reason why Eagles fans were telling me part of the reason why they were upset is because the message they sense this offseason is they're going to build right. around. Well, the, well, no, it's because because they said they're going to build around Carson Wentz. My first day as general manager, I would set the tone. I would take a lot of the theories I've talked about here and kind of lay them out and say, look, we're going to look for the quarterback. And if you want to play quarterback for me, you might need to have thick skin and not like in a Gruden, like I'm going to pull you on the next play standpoint. Right. But, this is but like happens, we're literally right? going to we're going to crowd the room with five dudes and but figure out what happens. So right? let's say you're I think if you two. lay the grain groundwork, let's say you're week that? two, week two, Haskins play badly week one. He's at halftime week two. It's not going well. So when's Tua coming in? When, when are you starting? I think Tua? you need. I think you need a longer term plan. Tua is not playing until he's ready, right? Well, Haskins. <laughs> so you you have a longer term plan. It's not like it's not like on a whim. Like I'm going to pull you when you have a bad interception. You have to have a long term. No, no, no. I'm not saying vision but, for this thing. But that's the question. That's all you're going to hear for every step of the way. Anytime. So I th- here's what I think that is. I think that's the equivalent to there's a difference between running back skill level. And then the production that they are going to give you, right? So there's, you can have a guy with a ton of skill and he only gets a little bit more production, right? That is answering questions. Like the byproduct of having two quarterbacks is uncomfortable and all that stuff. But I think the negatives there are so much, so insignificant compared to what the payout would be, right? If I had to, if I had to suck it up and deal with questions for a year about two of us Haskins and two of us Haskins, I'll suck it up for a year if I know I'm going to find the guy, if I think it increases my chances of, of finding the guy. I don't right? know if there's anything in the NFL teams hate more than the concept of but distractions, I don't, but, right? But this I don't think it is, matters what you hate, right? So, but we, but we talk about defensive linemen all the time, like right? in offensive linemen. They like, we think if we impose our will, you're going to quit in the fourth quarter. Like that's their feeling, right? And because it happened a couple times in high school and dudes quit, but it probably doesn't actually happen in the NFL more than like once every three years. You know what I mean? Like those are feelings that we think we have, that we think have adverse effects that probably don't. And even if they do, they're minimal compared to the payout at the end, which is like, you get your guy, you get your quarterback. I can have, like, if you have a great quarterback, a very good quarterback versus an average quarterback, you can be, you could have four positions that are worse on your team and still be better. You know what I mean? Like your roster could be four positions worse with a better quarterback and be a better team. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like the difference. The so payout. if you, if you like the offensive guy, the, the coach whose feeling is an imposing your will, blah, blah, blah. If you don't listen to that guy, there's no downside, right? It's, Oh, I'm not doing that. I'm giving you this other player instead. Make that work. All right. Done. Yeah. The feeling that everybody in that building hates dealing with distractions. The negative to that is it, there's, if you ignore them and say, screw it, we're doing it anyway. Cause the payoff is too, if, from from one of these quarterbacks becoming the guy is better than you being annoyed. 
you now have the entire organization pissed off that all they have to do is answer questions <laughs> about me. to or or or, or uh, Haskins. And that, like, I don't know what the consequences are to that, but I'm going to guess that all 53 people plus the coaching staff, plus everybody who gets on record from the front office, all of those guys being annoyed and irritated for 12 months is not a positive one for your football team. It might not be, but I think as GM, I'd have to set the tone, <laughs> declare the message. I'll get my 90 guys and say, hey, this is how we're going to build the team. You would be fired right? in nine months. That's fine. They pay me for the next three years. <laughs> I am all for it. Listen. A lot of NFL teams listen to us, so I don't want to make this pitch. But look, if I give it a shot and get paid a ton and get fired after a year or two, like I'll be all right. Come back to the podcast. I look. I but I have a long term plan. So you got to sign me to a six year contract because my long term vision. Like if you're if you're not on board and you can't handle a couple media questions where you just say ask our GM, ask our GM. I'll tell them ask our GM. That's I what think they, a lot that's of all your- they have to say. I think a lot of your ideas have a lot of merit and make some sense, particularly some of the longer-term strategy ones. But I think quarterback is one of those spots that breaks rules and has exceptions in certain circumstances. Look at the trade, right? It's like trading up is always a bad idea unless it's for a quarterback, in which case the value is so good it changes things. I think quarterback, it changes that dynamic in terms of you, you can just you – they only function in, uh, in sequence. They just don't function parallel. The second you have two quarterbacks and it's a competition, it's a giant pain in the ass. And you only do that when you know you don't have a quarterback yet. I think when you have a young guy, you're, you just you roll with this guy until you're certain he isn't the guy. And then you ch- you, you, you reload and you swing again. You can't. That is, so that's the one point that I could get behind is that like you, if you're bad, you do have other opportunities to get quarterbacks. Like I yeah. could get behind that. Like the Redskins – there's a pretty good chance that they're picking in the top 10 next year. Right. And, you're going to have and, an and equivalent could be to in the a, Lawrence Fields. You're yeah, going to have an equivalent to a next year. You're not going to have an equivalent Chase Young next year. But the other part is if you're that fringe team, if you're get, you're going to be a get you on the green type of GM if you had the opportunity. And I would so you're Mariota and I'm Winston, right? Come on. You might make the playoffs Mariota. a couple times, but you've got no chance of winning. I might have a couple four-win seasons, but I'm going to win a championship. That's what hmm. I think. You're not going to last just gonna long keep... enough in the job to win a championship. All right. We're taking a long time here on the NFC East. We've got to fly through the rest of these teams with some great analysis, Sam. You ready? Mm-hmm. The Detroit Lions. That was a good discussion, by the way. Detroit Lions, NFC North. We gave them a good grade as well. They, we gave them an A, even though they could have been, it could have been an A++. Oh, wow. But they took DeAndre Swift in the second round, the running back. But when you look at their what they brought in, Jeffrey Akuda, the number three pick, we, would, we love that. Uh, man coverage corner, and that's their scheme. So love that as a fit. Julian Aquara, we had as a first-round value, an edge defender. I put as my comp Jamie Collins, so he could learn from Jamie Collins right there in Detroit as an edge, perhaps linebacker hybrid. I actually wrote that Belichick tree will love him as Jamie Collins. So that, mm-hmm. that worked out pretty well. And then Jonah Jackson, probably the best pass-protecting guard in the draft in the third. And I love Logan Stenberg, the other guard that they got from Kentucky. They may have had two gotten two starting guards in this draft as well that's an underrated you know way to, to build a team in round three and I four. Think, what'd you think of the lions i think this was a it wasn't an exciting draft but i think it was a good one um I, they didn't have the decision to make because chase young was taking it too but i think even if chase young had been there jeffrey akuda was the right move because 
Look, it's it's kind of like the Vikings. It's damage limitation. You know, I, it's not probably not upgrading you from a year ago in terms of Darius Slay to Jeffrey Akuda, but you don't have Darius Slay anymore. So you now have a hole that needs filling. So you have you fill it, and you you fill it with one of the most valuable positions in the NFL. So I think Akuda was the right move, whether they had had a choice of uh, Chase Young or not. I think given that he wasn't there, it was a no brainer. Okay, they drafted a running back. Fine. Um, but I think down the line, you get some solid guys that can start. They, they, you know, a couple of late round interior defenders as well. Jonah Jackson is the one where it kind of hinges on our evaluation of him, right? We think he's one of the most uh, pro-ready, pass-protecting guards in the NFL, could immediately step in and be a quality starter. If you snag one of those midway through the third round, you're doing well. Yeah, and I, so I think the NFL did have this perception of there was five or six running backs in the NFL uh, in this draft, right? And it goes down to you brought this point up last year too, like that we didn't think that the combine mattered a ton, but there's definitely like a cutoff point, right? Like you yeah. can't have a four eight corner. There's a point where you you are too slow. There is a point where the running back isn't talented talented enough to be a productive. It's not like you could take Johnny High School and put him in there behind an offensive line and average five per game. Maybe you could. Um, so I think the NFL did have this perceived tier of DeAndre Swift and Edward Solaire and J.K. Dobbins and a couple other guys, right, where they, they wanted to make sure they got one. I find it interesting that they just drafted Kerryon Johnson in the second round mm-hmm. la- uh, two years ago, and he's been pretty solid for them, battled some injuries and all that stuff. So I don't know if that means they just don't have faith in him. They truly want to have a two-running back system. Running back value aside – the Lions have Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and Danny Amendola. Pretty well-defined roles for those receivers. TJ Hawkinson at tight end. And now Swift is a really good pass-catching running back. I do think that's a tough five to cover. So I like that from a what's Swift going to add to the team perspective. He was our top running back for whatever it's worth because of what he could do in the pass game. Right. I mean, he adds, that's what he adds, right? He adds receiving threat to the backfield that didn't really have it. on Johnson is okay as a uh, a receiving uh, running back, but I don't think he's 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 not one of those ones that's causing problems for defenders, right? He's a he's a capable receiving running back, but he's not a guy that you game plan for in that area. It's just all yeah. right if he catches check, the field, like, fine. Catch the swing, catch the check right. down, and that's it. So yep. he was okay. Bo Scarborough is not doing anything in that area. So DeAndre Swift should legitimately change the way you have to think about the Detroit backfield in the passing game. Which, if you're going to do it, is where it's valuable to do that in. Quintez Cephas, a lot of people love him. He ran like 5'7 or something. He ran like a 4'7 <laughs> at the combine, but he, he plays faster. He runs faster. He was something happened there, right? So um, that's a worthwhile gamble in the fifth. And what do you think of their sixth rounder? I mean, there's a guy Stop in the it. sixth round, Sam, Stop that it. can uh, just who is the I, I try to get Chris at the cocktail hour. <laughs> I was like, Chris, what about their sixth? Because I know he had the he was like reading the Lions draft as we were talking about it. I was like, what about their sixth rounder, Chris? You know, give me him. John. It's John. John, John Johnny Utah. Yeah. John Penasini. John Penasini from Utah. Perfect. Two down, maybe one down, run stopping nose tackle. That's where you draft those guys at 197 overall in the draft. And once again, I think the value of drafting those run stoppers in the sixth or the fifth or wherever you can get them is you don't come back the next year and draft them in the second. You know, when that attractive Ashawn Robinson type is there in the second you don't waste a second round pick on him. You got the guy previously in, that, in later rounds. They're usually that, there. That shift in 
emphasis from or naming the shift in nomenclature from two down to one down is actually something we should be pushing because two down yeah, players one down two yeah. down players aren't two down players anymore two down pl- people yep. play nickel 75 percent of the time two down players are one down guys you play them 25 percent of the downs it's a first it's a it's an obvious run situation only you used to have these guys that would play you know 250 snaps as pass rush specialists they don't really exist anymore because you need to be more than that rush the passer but runs rundown specialists might exist now the guys that play you're gonna play 250 snaps in the season on obvious rundowns and outside of that you're a liability yep absolutely one down player john Penasini. so good solid draft all around for the lions may have gotten a couple mid-round starters some impact players at the top so uh running back just a little bit too high for us chicago bears we gave them a b plus we didn't like their for i didn't like their first pick i always say we but I think we're very much in agreement on a lot of these things. Uh, They've got a couple projectable players on day three. Jalen Johnson, their second round corner, we had as a first round value. So that was their best pick. Yeah, Uh, he could step right in and play. Uh, Cole Komet at 43 overall, a tight end who just he was an unexciting (laughs) watch. He was one of those guys. I'm watching him. I'm like, I don't get it. He looks slow. And I try to watch a guy first and then check the measurables. And all of his combine stuff made him look athletic. I just didn't see it on the field. I didn't think he looked fast or anything like that. But he was one of those true classic inline tight ends that this draft didn't really have a whole lot of. And the Bears, in their nine tight end room, felt like they needed one more in Komet. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of like, <laughs> it's a, a massive amplification of the idea that, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. The Bears have nine tight ends, consequently have none. <laughs> Um, but Nine. the problem is, this is again, it's a bad draft for tight ends. It was a bad free agency period for tight ends. It's a bad year. It's a bad off season to need tight end help. And we speculated before the draft, was that going to cause some of these guys to get pushed up higher than they should otherwise? Because the supply isn't there. So if you need one, you got to take them early. And I think that's basically what you see here is you get a guy that's, that's not that good a prospect, but is pushed high by the fact that there just isn't a great supply of good tight ends this year. And apparently a team like the Bears decided they really needed one. So There's a couple things that fascinate me about that, though, Sam, right? We don't look at their wide receiver core and think that they're great. We look at their offensive line and say they were really good in 2018. They all seem to regress last year. So I don't know that you have to attack offensive line, but I look at that receiving core what made them feel like we need a tight end? We They invested in Jimmy Graham. Like, what's going through the, the process of team building here? Like, how are we going to get the most out of Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky? Is it by having Cole Komet, like a, a true wide tight end, plus a Jimmy Graham and whatever else sticks there? And they feel good about their receivers, as in second-round pick Anthony Miller heading into year three, seventh-round pick Javon Wims heading into year three, Last year's fourth rounder, Riley Ridley, like, do they feel all those guys are just going to step up, step forward? They feel good about receiver. They feel good about n- enough at, at tackle. And they felt really strongly, hey, we need to top off this offense with like an old school tight end. I, I, that interests me as far as the thought process goes. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same as the Browns where it's like they're they needed to get a tight end this offseason in order to make a fundamental shift in personnel. For, that they want to make for that offense, right? They've changed offensive scheme, so they want to pivot from 11 personnel to 12 personnel or to 22 personnel, two tight ends anyway. So they needed to get a tight end they could trust being on the field, you know, 70% of the time. They didn't have one. 
So they had to overpay for a guy like Austin Hooper to make it happen. I wonder if the same thing is true for the Bears, although they didn't change scheme, right? Maybe they want to pivot. Maybe this is a team that wants to attack with two tight end personnel groups more than they did a year ago. And they, in order to make that happen, obviously you need to add an extra tight end from somewhere. So that's the only thing I can think of that would make you want to aggressively pursue a tight end to this degree, to the point where it you know, changes your value on certain other things. So just to finish, Komet, I don't think he does anything special. Big dude, looks like a blocker. He's okay there. He's not that dynamic. He's not... Um, I don't think he's got pretty good body control and good size. Okay, so so that's that. I think Jalen Johnson steps in, uh, has a chance to start over Artie Burns, you know, who's slotted in to, to start right now. Jalen could be a really good player. Beyond that, Darnell Mooney is the guy to keep an eye on. We talked about they didn't really attack wide receiver, but that dude adds four three speed. Um, he's not terribly polished, but when you just watch him, dynamic after the catch with that speed, high points the ball, go gets the ball to catch point, gets the ball to catch point. Kindle Vil- Vildor from. Georgia Southern, solid as well. A lot of people love Travis Gibson, the, the edge. I mean, they've got a lot of interesting third-day third, third day type of guys. I just think they could have done a lot more with that 43rd overall pick. So um, solid draft with a B-plus in our system. Um, the Minnesota Vikings. I know you'll have a lot to say on the Vikings generally, but my, my here's my overarching take with the Vikings. Every team in the NFL has to rebuild. They hit the, they hit the salary cap. They hit some limits and all that stuff. And... But I think the Vikings have played this unbelievably, right? You've got Kirk Cousins, which is like he, you're sitting in the middle of we're going for it and we're rebuilding. That's what Kirk Cousins is as a quarterback. He could be both. He could be a rebuild guy and he could be a go for it guy. Um, they pushed that roster to as far as they could without a lot of depth and up against the salary cap. And they've completely replenished the roster. This happens in the NFL a lot. I think it's uncomfortable for fan bases because you see big names that you're used to leave. And you see new names come in. But when you bring in new names in volume, as in 15 draft picks, like you're going to get five or six or seven contributors here. Starting wide receiver in Justin Jefferson, maybe two starting corners in Jeff Gladney and Cameron Danzler, maybe a starting tackle in Ezra Cleveland, Troy Diet linebacker who's going to contribute, and then who knows what else? Two or three other guys that are going to contribute. This is a great job by the Vikings rebuilding on the fly and doing it while still having some core pieces remaining. My yeah. take. I think you have to separate the strategy of team, <clears throat> the strategy of roster management with the situation the Vikings were therefore presented with come the draft time, right? I think the strategy to put yourself in the position of needing to come up with at least two, probably three starters coming out of the draft is just, it's just bad roster maintenance, right? It's not a good position to be in because we've always talked about the strike rate in draft picks is bad, right? So the only right. way of like, guaranteeing that would be, all right, I need a tackle or I need a, I need a wide receiver and I need a cornerback. The only way of guaranteeing that is to be, right, I'm going dra- <clears throat> to draft four wide receivers and four cornerbacks. It's the only way I can be sure of one of those guys, you know, being the guy based off the average strike rate of everybody's draft. So needing like three guys to come in and start, I just think is putting yourself in a tough spot. That being said, the Vikings rolled into this draft and given the situation they were in, I think they did about as well as you could possibly expect them to. They get a wide receiver who should be able to come in and replace what they got, what they left in Stefan Diggs, or at least fits that role, does that a lot of the same scheme stuff. That's a nice pick. 
they get Jeff Gladney, who should be able to come in and start for them at cornerback. Um, really nice schematic fit as well. And they were able to trade down and make that pick happen. So that's like a, an absolute jackpot. Ezra Cleveland in the second round could potentially start from day one. Cameron Dancer in the third, I think, is potentially an absolute steal. Fell because of a combination of being built like a twig and they're then running like a 4-7 once he tried to bulk up and prove he wasn't built like a twig. So just, but I think if you go back and just watch his tape, just forget the measurable stuff, go back and watch him play. He handled Jamar Chase about as well as anybody did in college football. And that's the best receiver in college football. His tape over multiple years is really good. He should come in and contribute. And then after that, they just started throwing darts. And I think that's, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm saying that's a positive, right? They, yeah hit the pieces they expect to contribute right away. And at that point on, you're just throwing darts and hoping you hit something. They got a really nice blend of uh, athletes, <laughs> like a DJ Wanham's an athlete <clears throat> on the defensive line. And then Kenny Willekes, even though he posted a video of him being really athletic, um, isn't known for his athleticism. He's, he's a really good potential run stopping defensive end, right? Um, same thing with Blake Brandell going in the sixth round. He was just crazy productive for us at um, Oregon State at tackle. Like, the grades were awesome. He just doesn't move well. So it's a nice blend of here's these guys that performed well. Here are these guys that maybe didn't perform well, but have um, really good athleticism. So I like it. I like the Vikings draft uh, in part because, yeah, when you bring in 15 players, there's going to be a lot of players that you like. And if you go into every draft saying we need to get X number of players to come out of it, you know, sometimes teams need more. But generally, like if you get three or four good player contributors out of each draft, you're doing a pretty good job. If you draft 15 times, you got a much better uh, hit rate. doesn't have to be as good. Yeah. So. The, other, the other sort of problem with that way of thinking is the number of guys you have that contribute, if you use that term, is entirely dependent on how crappy the roster is in front of them, right? It's like, yeah, oh, I course. got five contributors from this draft because the five positions they played in were absolute barren wastelands in terms of veterans, right? So you can... You can essentially manufacture yourself a ton of of day one contributors if your roster is wretched. So that I don't think is a great way of measuring it. How many of these guys contribute in a meaningful, you know, positive way is going to be what determines whether they nail this or not, which is true for everybody, right? It reminds me of the 2008 San Francisco Giants, Sam. Mm, You remember that? Of course it does. They called up every one of my teammates, guys that never, ever should have been in the big leagues. And I got hurt. I was on my way to the show, man. Giants were like the worst team in baseball. They called everybody up and I got hurt. Missed my shot. Everybody got to be a big leaguer that year, except me. Anyway, we gave the Vikings an A. And uh, yeah, congrats, Vikings. Really nice job. No, I thought it was a good job. Uh, Green Bay Packers. We've uh, talked about this. Yeah, we're not going to give, we're not going to spend a ton in, of time. Worst draft in the league. Simple. We gave him a D. Yeah. It's not even a wait and see. No, I think there's two. Th- there's two things from a, from a process standpoint that we would disagree with. One, uh, they went quarterback in the first. Fine. Traded up to do it. They traded up to go get Jordan Love, who we think is a massive projection. And then two, I think it's they're completely revamping their team to take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands to build a run-first team with a 250-pound running back and an H-back with, with picks two and three. Yeah. So that's that on the Packers draft. Didn't like it. Yeah, if you're um, actually interested s- in more, you know, post-mortem, the previous, our winners and losers covered it extensively, but we don't need to rehash it in this one. They lost. They lost bad. Next. Not going to rehash it. There we go. Packers, we didn't like it. Go check out our winners and losers podcast. 
and that'll give you some answers on what we thought of that draft. Let's go to the NFC South. Carolina Panthers drafted all defensive players, Sam. First time in history, as you mentioned the other day. Um, it felt safe. Um, it felt like they have a new regime. It was the same thing I think the Dolphins did last year with a new regime. Uh, there was another team that did it. I can't think of off the top. Oh, the, the, the Raiders. Their first pick, Mike Mayock's first pick, was right. Cleveland Farrell. Just a good, solid football player. And then the Dolphins last year got Christian Wilkins, Farrell's teammate, a good, solid football player, a run stopper, a good character guy, all that stuff. The Panthers start the new regime with a good, solid football player in Derek Brown. I would say I would I would try to hit more home runs, especially for a team that has no cornerbacks. But that was their strategy. They got Derek Brown, good run stopping defensive tackle with some push the pocket ability. And Yuter Gross Matos from Penn State, another guy, JPP style, really good run defender projection as a as an every down pass rusher. So I think they got better against the run with their first two picks. So I've seen a lot of people criticize the picks or the the fact they only went defense because, you know, you're not doing anything to help. So in in one way, it's good for Teddy Bridgewater because they didn't get into the quarterback sweepstakes and it's at least it's his job for at least a year. Right. He doesn't have any threat to worry about. On the other hand, they didn't help him out by adding a bunch of weapons to, to make him make his life easier. But when you look at their roster They've actually got a decent number of weapons, right? You got DJ Moore, who we liked and graded well. They signed Robbie Anderson. They were the team that got into that. They've got Curtis Samuel, who everybody seems to be wanting to trade elsewhere, but seems to me to fit perfectly into that system and that offense. So you've got a pretty good one, two, three in terms of valuable receiving weapons that he can play with. Um, Okay, you can argue that the tight end is a question mark, but Ian Thomas has shown some flashes. They traded the, the trade to get away from Tri Turner, brought in Russell Okung. So, you th- in theory, you've upgraded a left tackle. The line could use help, but it's not like it's a complete train wreck. I, I think defense the whole way made some sense for them. Um, I, we talked before the Derek Brown pick comes down entirely to how you where you believe his ceiling is. Right? Do you believe his ceiling is Akeem Hicks, in which case it's probably rich, or do you think he can become as good as a guy like Fletcher Cox, who? is the most dominant power pass rusher in the NFL. If he can do that, he's worth seven. Um, and then, yeah, you just add some defense. I, I really like some of the lower round picks they've had as well. We, Bravion Roy, we talked about, is one of the most fun players to watch in the NFL. I'm just excited to see him on a team. I don't even care where it is. Troy Pride, I think, is a really useful cornerback that can come in. I'm pretty certain he's going to be just good, solid, wherever he ends up. And then the, the safety combination of Jeremy Chin, the spectacular athlete who, you know, maybe didn't quite do it against lower level competition. And then Kenny Robinson, who was busy playing well in the XFL before it collapsed. I liked Renner's comp for Troy Pride, which was Ronald Darby. Uh, Ronald Darby coming out, very similar description, like really fast, really athletic, could mirror with the best of them, had no idea where the football was. And Darby developed that. You know, I think there's a few corners we've, evaluated through the years who are pretty good at covering figured out how to find the football and makes a place at the catch point. So um, I think it was an unexciting draft. They got the B Renner liked it. I think from a value standpoint, as far as just getting players who could contribute chin is of uh, Jeremy chin, very athletic safety fine with that at 64. And like you said, Robinson in the fifth round could be a p- potential steal your boy, Bravey and Roy. So good, solid draft for the Panthers. Unexciting. It's a foundation draft for a new regime 
I, I think they're in trouble this year, especially in that division. Eh, I think they'll be okay. I mean, I, I agree with you in that division. Like, they're not winning it, right? But I don't think – I think they can be competitive. Um, can I – this is a very quick aside, and I'm, I'm not going to linger on it, but it's, it's too funny not to mention. <laughs> Mike's May, Mike Mayock's chat with SiriusXM um, – you know, one of the criticisms of Damon Arnett in the first round is that the dude ran a four five six, and in order to be a man cover corner at the next level, you can indeed be faster than that. But don't worry, because the Raiders scouts had him at four four three. Oh, so he's, he's okay. a four four guy. All right, that's like me. <laughs> I'm six eleven then. Dude, our stopwatch had him a tenth faster, so he's worth the round more than you thought he was. Don't you know? The, why don't you that, get why don't you get better on the stopwatch? That's all I'm saying. That automated timing that you had. That's oh, man. incredible that you would use it's that wrong. as justification. To the Tampa Bay Bucks, I thought for they're in a unique spot, like I said earlier. They got Tom Brady for two years, right? Yeah. There's a, the, very few teams have this like win now type of mantra that that you just have to do it, right? That we'll talk about the Saints in a minute. The Bucks, I think, mesh that really well with value, though. Getting Tristan Warfs. I know you want to talk about Jason Light's trade up, you know, ex- <laughs> extravaganza. Extravaganza. It just shows what happens with the NFL draft, right? He wanted to trade up to eight to go get a tackle, seven. if not seven, if not just Tristan Warfs, right? Yeah. But because people didn't answer the phone, he looks all like he could do was trade up from fourteen to thirteen. Didn't yeah. give up a ton to do it. It was fine. Like, it wasn't this disastrous trade-up. We say, don't trade up. It was a spot. It wasn't a big deal. And he gets his guy, Tristan Warps. He would have given up way more and mortgaged way more future just to go get the same guy. But the board kind of fell to him, and they got Tristan Warps. But that's how desperate they were to say, we don't. We literally have zero right tackle right now. We have a guard right. slotted on our fake depth chart right now. Like, we need a guy <laughs> right now that can step in and protect the GOAT. So from the outside, it looks like this really well-measured mesh of, you know, drafting well, taking value, not panicking, doing the right things. And it's just this perfect story of how you can never, you have to be careful when you evaluate all this stuff from the outside because you're only ever party to a certain amount of the information. So from the outside, and the the other, there were two interesting nuggets. Peter King's Football Morning in America, he was embedded in the Bucks, so he saw all this unfold. One the Bucks knew about Joe Staley retiring when Schefter didn't. Um, they were that's why they were twitchy about the 49ers, because Joe Staley was about to retire. They were like the 49ers could easily take a tackle. Everyone else pegging them for a wide receiver. So he wanted to get above them. So that's interesting. But the other interesting thing is we think they did really well. They played for value, but in reality, he was trying to trade up from pick seven onwards. And nobody would either pick up the phone or just wasn't dealing. So literally for like however many picks that is, seven straight picks, that guy was trying to lose value on what he was doing. Like he was trying to trade up for a guy that may have fallen to them if he hadn't done anything and certainly fell to him at 13. And from every pick beyond that, he was trying to throw, to burn, to set fire, to draft capital and was saved from himself by the rest of the NFL, just not answering his phone calls. Sometimes better to be lucky. Again, that was Dallas. Dallas wanted Paxton Lynch. All they wanted to do was to trade up for Paxton Lynch in the first round. Denver beat them to it. And then they got Dak Prescott in the fourth. So uh, Tristan Wirfs in the first, one of our top tackles, played right tackle at Iowa. He'll slot in as the starting right tackle. He's a monster and a decent pass protector. Antoine Winfield's a good value in the second. Just a good, solid, knows how to play football, safety. That's what they need. 
in Tampa Bay. And then in the third, they got their running back. And this was in part because they knew they needed to come out of this thing with a pass catching running back. They need somebody for Brady to feel comfortable throwing the ball to. Keyshawn Vaughn was probably the last guy on the, you know, on the board that they felt good about. So they got that because they didn't have a fourth because of Gronk. Uh, Tyler Johnson, a potential steal in the fifth, the receiver who just gets open and could actually become their number three to compliment Mike Evans and Chris Godwin could be a steal. And then Eric's boy, Raymond Calais in the seventh, pure speed back at Louisiana. He could be better than Keyshawn Vaughn. So good, solid all around draft for the Bucs with uh, just their seven picks. Yeah, I don't know how much 11 personnel they're going to run. I don't know how much the slot receiver is actually going to be featured in this offense. But there's no reason Tyler Johnson can't be that guy from day one. Yeah, absolutely. So we gave them an A minus. Just, you know, got guys off the board where they should have. Tyler Johnson, potential steal. Uh, The Atlanta Falcons. We ended up giving them a B. That was on the lower end of our grading scale, by the way, the Bs. They're just, you know, kind of solid. Um, A.J. Terrell was their top pick. Cornerback out of Clemson at 16. I, he was the guy that I didn't have, t- you know, great touchy feelings, uh, touchy-feely mm. feelings about. Uh, Renner really liked him. I know our guy Austin went back and re-wa- re-watched him against Jamar Chase. Uh, other than the times that Chase burned him on targets, you know, he kind of hung with him a little bit. He hung tough against, you know, Chase. So he's all right. The Falcons were one of those teams definitely felt like, hey, we need to go get a corner. We got to get we got to get a corner no matter what. And they, they made sure that they did. Other than the times he was burned, he was really good um, on targets. I said on targets. <laughs> Still, it's a fairly significant, you know, caveat. If you just strip out the plays where he got humped, he played really well. He's another one of those six foot corners that moves pretty well. And there was five yeah. or six of them in this draft. I, look, I know, don't disagree with you. With. I just I just think it sounded kind of funny. Um, yeah, it does. I, I think. I don't hate taking him at that spot. I think <clears throat> the the cornerback evaluation is always going to be all over the map a little bit. So whereas you might think he's a fringe first rounder, I think propelling him, you know, 15 further spots higher is entirely reasonable for a team who values, you know, quarterback a little bit more than that. I think that gets a little bit sketchier when you take it another 15 picks higher, you know, and you're pointing from like mid first round to like top five or top 10 or whatever. But I don't have a problem with the team saying, no, we buy into this guy as a starting corner in our system. So he's worth 16 as opposed to 31 or whatever. Yeah, they still have work to do back there. Yeah, um, we'll see what they have to what they end up doing. If teams end up having to cut and there's a few they're they're going to be a waiver wire type of team, I think, when it comes to cornerback, because Isaiah's Oliver, who's OK, slotted in as the starter opposite A.J. Terrell, Marlon Davidson. My question with him, big dude who played on the edge at Auburn, really only a handful of snaps on the interior you're probably projecting him to the interior. He's, he's 300 pounds. He's not going to be an edge at the next yeah. level. So I didn't love him from a projection standpoint. Matt Hennessy is a solid center. And um, I like the Alex Mack insurance for the, for the coming years. So, um, okay. Job by the Falcons. We gave it a B. And I think the big story is what do they continue to do in the secondary uh, this off season, as far as potential trades or waiver wire. Like I said, any other thoughts on the Falcons? Yeah, they just feel like a team that doesn't have. Yeah, they don't seem to know what they're doing right now. They're, they're in this. They're this team that was that had a glimpse of a Super Bowl. You know, it got taken away from them, and now it's like they're just listless. They, they're sort of lost at sea, without a definitive plan about which direction to head in. And this draft kind of feels a little bit like that. It's okay. We need a corner, so we'll get a corner, and then we'll just sort of take some decent. You know players. what they're playing? You know the game Whack a Mole. Yeah. Okay, they're playing yeah. whack-a-mole right now. Yeah, yeah. Last year's draft was, oh, no, the offensive line disappeared. It, it, we have to draft two, right? right? Okay, we stopped the offensive line. 
oh, what happened to our secondary? Where's Desmond Trufant? Why did Isaiah Oliver not develop? Now we have to we got to stop the secondary. Now, like pass rush has been popping up for the last five years in whack-a-mole. So I think the Falcons are just in a I don't know how you avoid that. But yeah, the Falcons are not in a great spot. So, yeah, Um, New Orleans Saints. This won't take long. (laughs) They had three picks and then traded back in to get Tommy Stevens. Cesar Ruiz, I feel like, is more of a long-term play unless they somehow can trade Larry Warford. Center slash guard, we were just surprised that the Saints played, you know, for the long-term rather than the short-term. They played short-term later. They traded up to get Zach Bond, traded up to get Adam Troutman. The tight end, Troutman, will probably contribute on that team. Bond, edge slash linebacker there. So four picks for the Saints. That's it. Yeah, I think the first rounder, if it was any other team than the Saints, it would be a really good pick. And even for the Saints, I don't think it's a bad one. It's just a curious move for a team so intent on playing, on competing for a Super Bowl this year. But as much as backup quarterback is valuable, when you have a roster as good as the Saints, backup offensive line is good as well. So even if he doesn't become anything more than a Stefan Wisniewski who can come in six weeks into the season when somebody's got hurt or is playing badly and upgrade the position. It's it's a solid move. We gave them a B, and uh, yeah, we know how much they like to protect Drew Brees on the interior. So some depth plays, a little surprising for the Saints. Let's wrap it up with the NFC West. Uh, Arizona Cardinals, Isaiah Simmons, the first pick. DeAndre Hopkins, their second rounder. Can I say Stop that? It. Uh, Josh Jones... From Houston, their third rounder, Josh Jones falling to number 72, one of the biggest question marks of the draft. We had him as first round value. We weren't on an island. We're on an island with certain players, Curtis Weaver, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe Christian Fult. Like we are on an island on certain players, and I think we know that. We're fine with that. Josh Jones, we weren't. Yeah. And a lot of people had him as a first round value. So I don't know what happened with there with that. But he's the starting right tackle right now that they got at 72. That's great. And he was also a guy that it complete spectrum of people were pushing high. Like the senior, you know, Jim Nagy and the senior bowl were talking about this guy as a first round talent. Like the scouting people loved him. The analytics loved him. Everybody loved Josh Jones. So for whatever reason, he fell. Maybe there's something we don't know about medicals, off field issues or whatever. But if that stuff holds up, like this is a first round value player in the third for a team that does need offensive line help. That's potentially a steal of the draft. Isaiah Simmons at eight is interesting because there's already started this idea of where he plays, right? What are we going to do with him? Is he just a linebacker? Is he a game plan uh, joker on defense? His role, I think, is going to determine how good that pick is. Because if he's just, yeah. you know, just a conventional linebacker, I mean, okay. I just don't know that that's worth eight overall. If he is more of a versatile weapon on defense, then now you're talking. Yeah, well, there's one quote saying that he's going to be a linebacker. The extensive quote was completely different. So um, don't fall for one quote analysis that people go with. Uh, it's a wait and see on Simmons and how he's going to be used. But he's got the skill set to do it all. Um, so I like that a lot. Like Ifotu, uh, big, huge potential run stopper. Got to play with better pad level, Sam. The Utah other interior defensive line along with Penasini. So solid draft for the Cardinals, especially those first the first two picks there. Isaiah Simmons and Josh Jones, and also getting DeAndre Hopkins. We gave them an A-plus because of that value that they got there. Los Angeles Rams, they only had they didn't have a first-rounder. They had two second-rounders. We gave them a C. This is one of our worst grades. They were the team that we warn about. Don't go into the draft and fill out your depth chart. Their first two picks were like, need an outside receiver, we need a running back, 
and they filled them. Cam Akers was their top pick, the running back from Florida State, wide receiver Van Jefferson, probably around higher than we would have liked the wide receiver from Florida. A lot of people did like Van, though. So the, I was going to say, I, I don't know, the A.J. Dillon pick might have been more, but of all the running back picks, this one might have been the one that upset me the most because really, of all the teams to come to the conclusion that running back was the problem, the Rams is inexplicable, right? You watched what happened when you had a, a quality top pick of a running back who was looked terrible because your offensive line was garbage under Jeff Fisher. New regime comes in, new talent on the offensive line comes in. Suddenly your offensive line is the best run blocking unit in all of football. And people are saying Todd Gurley is an MVP. Then that offensive line swings all the way back again and goes to being one of the worst offensive lines in football. And the offense turns to crap and the run game looks terrible. And it's what's wrong with Todd Gurley. If you just watched that happen and came to the conclusion that the the running back was the issue, not the fact that the line went from terrible to awesome to terrible again, like that's just that's genuinely like negligent. Like that's an excuse. Plus, it's to, your to do that. It's your top pick. Like I feel, it just feels dirty. Like when that that was the the Bears last year. They, they didn't have a pick till the third, and they used it on David Montgomery. And now they're playing whack a mole on their what used to be solid roster because they overvalued running back. So. Um, I don't love it. Van Jefferson will come in and try to replace Brandon Cooks as, as a bit of a deep threat. Uh, Terrell Lewis is a solid edge defender there. And Terrell Burgess is my guy. I love him at 104. I think that's a steal slot slash safety. That could be a great win. Bryson Hopkins, a tight end that brings even more speed to a team that has a, a good group of tight ends there. So um, I like their middle rounders way better than their second. Like they went good players in rounds three and four. And then they, they but they filled needs in rounds in rounds two in round two. They could have had a great draft if they uh, grabbed the best players there instead. So, C draft. Yeah, I mean, I just, it's, it's, I'm done with it the second that's your first pick. Speaking of Cs, the Seattle Seahawks got a C- from us. I, Always fascinated to see where they go. I pulled up an old uh, PFF mock draft sim that had Jordan Brooks taken at, what was it, 180 or 150? Somewhere yeah. in the like deep hundreds, and it got a 59 grade from us. So imagine how much we loved him being taken at 27. Um, I mean, I get, you know, the, the Seahawks do things differently from everybody else, but that seems to be a massive reach by almost any conceivable measure. Yeah, it was, he's a run-stopping linebacker in the first round. That's what he is. He moves pretty well downhill. Um, it's tough to justify at 27. Daryl Taylor is an edge that they got and Alton Robinson an edge that they got in the fifth. Honestly, I don't think there's a big difference between both of those guys. I think they're both going to be solid contributors. Colby Parkinson's a, just a big monster tight end that can't move well and catches back shoulders. I do like that. He could do that with Russell Wilson, um, but that's in the fourth round. Fine. Damian Lewis, your big mauling interior O lineman. So they got some decent players, some unexciting players. Um, I think they got some rotational players on the defensive line and then uh, just didn't love the first rounder. I mean, look one year they took a first round pick and spun it into six players. And this year they used it on a run stopping linebacker. Like the draft <laughs> is, you just never know Dallas last year. Like the Dallas may have gotten five more impact players this year than they'd got in last year's draft, like five above and beyond what they got last year, just from this draft based off what we've seen. So you just don't know. It's just, it's like, it's a coin toss every year what these guys are going to do with it. Yeah, so, don't know what they'll become, but don't love it <laughs> on paper. Is this where I did my little rant about 
Pete Carroll probably just loved Jordan Brooks in his interview and they just yeah, yeah. it became like 75 percent of his evaluation and all that stuff. I mean, we, we've discussed that on the previous pod, the winners and losers pod. So go back there for even more Seahawks analysis, winners and losers. We did that the day after the draft or night of. Um, anyway, we're going to round it out with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, we gave them a B plus hmm. solid. I'm going to use the word solid for the 98th time in this podcast. Javon Kinlaw, their first round pick, they traded down from 13 to 14, still got their guy to replace DeForest Buckner. Did you see the John Lynch quote, Sam? Yes. Yes. I try to defend process so much. Nope. And then they come out with quotes like that, John. Yeah, they wanted something like... They just wanted to get tougher. Right. You got to get tougher because look at those big mauling guards in Seattle. And when those guys are grinding on you all day, those guys get tired. So we need I to always, get rid of DeForest Buckner and get in Javon Kinlaw instead just to deal with the Seahawks, who you I don't mind already. drafting to like beat your division. It's six games. But if it's like I can justify Isaiah Simmons because I'm like, here's how he's going to stop the Rams. Here's how he's going to play against the Niners. Here's how he's going to cover these. Guys. But like, dude, just handling a couple Seahawks guards in the run game like you're going to be OK if you can't do that. Anyway, Kinlaw is the best pass-rushing interior defensive lineman. And Brandon Ayuk is a great scheme fit because he averaged 10 yards after the catch yeah, love that. per reception last year, and the Niners are going to put him in space, which is great. Love the Ayuk pick. I think he brings something they don't really have on that roster. Um, there, He also fits with the guys already on that roster. I think there was concerns that other receivers didn't necessarily, but I think that's a great pick. And look, Kinlaw, I think, will be a good player. I just don't love the strategy or the process now in terms of replacing a guy that was already really good at that spot and doing it because the Seahawks have 350 pound guys who one of whom they moved out almost immediately after the draft. And perhaps the biggest news for the entire weekend for the Niners, Joe Staley retires at left tackle. He has been so good for 10 plus years at that position. They traded a third and a fifth to get Trent Williams in town, a guy that obviously had first round caliber value that the Redskins did not take last year. So getting Trent Williams, even with all the injury concerns, a huge win just to maintain an above average left tackle spot. That is just huge for the Niners. Um, it felt like a status quo draft, right? DeForest Buckner's out. Javon Kinlaw's in. Joe Staley's out. Trent Williams is in. Emmanuel Sanders is out. Brandon Ayuk is in, right? Yep. So it's essentially replacing direct, you know, guys that are gone. Guys that are gone from their Super Bowl team. So. It was a necessary draft for the Niners. We gave it the B plus because it was just, you know, solid, as I said, solid all around. Yeah. Stop the rot. Let's ensure that we get back to the playoffs and hopefully get back to a Super Bowl next year and don't become the next cautionary tale of how teams never get back there the next year. All right. Sam has a big. Uh, what do you have now? You have yeah, a hard out a virtual here. doctor's appointment with uh, the, the person trying to do my green card. We're trying to help Sam become a citizen here. So we got to get out. Not a citizen. So, just just a, a green card holder. A green card holder. Oh, yeah, whatever. We're just trying to keep Sam here in America. So thank you guys for tuning in. It's your NFC draft review. We'll be back here on Monday with all sorts of fun off-season football discussion. Don't forget, get to PFF.com. Draft 2020. Draft 2020. 30% off all of your PFF products. Sam, good luck. Go get your green card. Talk to you guys on Monday.
quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.